0: Good morning, church. Hi, everyone. My name's Ray. I'm here to give us uh, the Bible reading uh, this morning. Uh, Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 16, and Rule. We'll Start also from verse 16 to so Acts chapter 16. Uh, yeah, it's great to see uh, yeah everyone here and uh, people pulling out their Bibles. But yeah, I do, do want to keep encouraging people to bring bring their physical copies of a Bible. Or if you don't have one, yeah, feel free to grab a complimentary copy at the back of the church. Uh, this morning's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command to you to come out of her. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left.
1: All Right. Thank you, Ray, for uh, reading out that uh, very dramatic moment in the Book of Acts. Uh, Do keep that open there. Your Bibles, phones, uh, wherever you're at, to Acts chapter 16, because we're going to be having a look at that today. Well, uh, I wonder what are you doing? What are you doing with your freedom this week? Uh, You know, imagining just being free of the responsibility to study to have to look after kids, uh, to work, to earn money, all of that. Uh, look, if you're anything like me, uh, the first thing that jumps into my mind is I'm definitely spending this week for me. <laughs> I don't know if you felt that as well. It's like, ah... I think I'm going camping for the week, camping for the week without the kids, because that would be responsibility, Uh, just being able to go and roam and hike around and and do that kind of thing, Uh, you know, got me kind of thinking about life, uh, about freedom, about responsibility, uh, you know, I reckon when you're young, and particularly I'm thinking about you guys, maybe you're still in school, you kind of think of life as, as just being kind of slowly increasing in freedom, right? Because you're in school, you don't have uh, money, you can't drive, you've got to study, you've got all these things you've got to do. And so life's kind of like, oh, well, everything's just, just onwards and, and upwards from there, isn't it? Uh, just kind of on the way up to more and more increasing freedom. So I'm just trying to... Signal down the back there. We get our slide going. There we go. So, freedom kind of just keeps going up and up and up. And uh, it sort of peaks somewhere around university. And it's kind of cool to see that little snapshot of life on the university up at Griffiths. Uh, but, kind of life in university lots of freedom not so much responsibility, especially if you've got a car, got some wheels to get around. You know, I remember uh, for me, university, I was living down in Sydney, moved out of home as well, which kind of probably tripled that, that freedom as well. Uh, we'd go to class during the day, uh, we'd kick around a football in the afternoon or go to the beach, uh, maybe do a little bit of study at night, but then watching TV, playing some video games, that was the life, wasn't it? But the thing is, it doesn't stay like that. It's not like your freedom just kind of keeps on going up and up and up, is it? It's sort of like this balancing act between freedom and responsibility. And and you start, you know, you start working, and suddenly you've got some responsibilities there to, that you're paid to do a job. Uh, and then you have kids, and then like that responsibility ball gets massive, and the freedom uh, ball tends to uh, just get really, really tiny. And life sort of kind of goes up and down uh, with our freedom and our responsibility. But it did get me thinking, actually, just about the way in which we juggle that. And particularly about the things for which you're willing to give your freedom up. What are those things that you would actually sacrifice freedom so that you can kind of bear more responsibility or be uh, kind of a more responsible student, a more responsible worker family, uh, what is it that you're willing to give stuff up for? I think it's actually quite a telling question. See, freedom is such a high commodity in our world, and how you use that actually speaks a lot about what's in our hearts. Now, we've been looking at the book of Acts uh, over this term, and uh, it's really all about the mission that God gave uh, to, to his disciples to go and witness, to take this gospel message to the ends of the earth. And what we're going to see today is that that message, it's not just something to believe in, but it's actually a a message that profoundly changes you, profoundly frees you. And so what we're going to see is that actually uh, it's going to completely revolutionize the way we think about ourselves, our freedom, and what you use your freedom for. See, the gospel is a gospel of freedom that Jesus came to set captives free, free from sin, free from the fear of death, Free from the wrath of god and we see people all the way through acts just rejoicing in the newfound freedom that they find in christ but it radically changes us changes us shapes us changes our priorities now uh, through the book of acts and, and through um Uh, sorry, through uh, chapter 16, uh, we actually get four conversion stories, four conversion stories. We didn't read about the first two, and I'll just kind of give you a brief overview of those first two. Uh, The first two um, is Timothy. The first one is Timothy. You you might know Timothy because uh, Paul actually writes a letter to Timothy that we have as 1 and 2 Timothy in the New Testament. I'm not going to focus on these too much, but I just wanted to point out that, hey, Timothy, he's a guy who's grown up, he's he's had uh, a jewish uh, christian mother and grandmother who's taught him the scriptures and he's had that privilege of of growing up uh, knowing the scriptures and and he's a young guy ready to embark on his own ministry training journey you know just like cp just like ling the second way we hear about lydia businesswoman a seller of expensive clothes a worshiper of god encounters paul at a small gathering outside of her town and her heart was opened by God and she responds to the gospel. She and her household converts and, and Paul and Silas and the crew end up staying with her. Now, I just love these kind of little mini snapshots. Now, not a lot is, is written there about these two people. But I love that we get uh, in this you know, a book that's full of these epic conversion stories, you get what are maybe more normal stories as well. You know, this is the normal story of having grown up with a Christian parent who, who under, helped you understand the scriptures, who grew you, helped you to know Jesus. You know, not everyone can have that dramatic kind of conversion story of you know I was that drug dealing gambler who had a dream in jail and <laughs> met Jesus in that way. Uh, every, but every story of God's working in your life is amazing. It's amazing in its own way. You know, maybe it was just that person that youth leader that CIA leader that YF leader for you invested in you help you to see the gospel you know and all these stories are just wonderful in their own little way but as we go through the the uh, book of uh, through the chapter 16 there we we see that actually the drama just kind of ramps up a little bit each time a little bit each time so the third uh, story there's a story of this slave girl read with me from verse 16 verse 16 once when we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling this girl uh, followed paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the most high god who are telling you the way to be saved she kept this up for many days now who is she so she's this fortune teller this uh, clairvoyant uh you know the they're still around today of course you might uh you know i remember being up at the umundi markets up there and uh, there's just all these stores with all these kind of new agey spiritual kind of stuff going on uh people will read your palm or your tarot cards or uh, whatever it is uh is it real or not who knows what we learned about this particular girl is that she had some kind of a spirit that actually allowed her to to be able to tell people's future and and it made her owners incredibly rich incredibly rich but being a slave it wasn't something that actually benefited her in fact in lots of ways i think it's a liability really because here you are you're owned by someone you earn money for them but so long as your gift endures you're able to do this thing for them i think you're always going to remain their slave so what does she do well she's kind of following paul around and she keeps shouting out hey these are the men the servants of the most high you know they're going to tell you the way to be saved and they're just following her around day by day, just kind of shouting and shrieking these words at them. And uh, at first, I think Paul's probably gone, gone oh, a bit of free advertising. This is, this is not bad. This is kind of useful. But the truth is, after a few days, Paul starts to get annoyed. See, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, I suspect what's happening here is that after a few days that all this constant shrieking just started turning people away, started repelling people from them. And so uh, Paul casts out this demon and suddenly she's, she's freed, actually. She's freed. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, "These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice." So you can see what's happened there. Now their lucrative little exploitative scheme there with their slave, their all hope of making money from that is now gone. And what do they do? They they drag her, drag up Paul and Silas in the marketplace before the authorities. Now, I don't think it's explicitly mentioned here by Luke, but actually, uh, you know, given the run of conversion stories, I'd like to think that actually the slave girl then commits herself to following Jesus, that maybe she's even freed by her slave owners, knowing that they have no way of exploiting her gift anymore. I actually think, you know, this idea of being enslaved by a gift is actually, I think it's a really interesting concept, isn't it? You know, it's funny because even there's there's stories in pop culture about how people's great power that they have actually ends up becoming a real liability for them. And uh, for those of you who are kind of really in tune with your comics, you might know that uh, at various points, Superman, uh, Captain America, and lots of these superhero guys, actually, they lose their superhero powers and they actually feel more free because of it. You know, Captain America, he's finally allowed to kind of age and live something of a normal life and he eventually gets old and, and he dies. And Superman, likewise, he, he has his power taken from him uh, and he's finally able to just actually be a normal human. I think it's such an interesting concept. See, I mean, how many of us are even feel a little bit enslaved by our own gifts and our own abilities? You know, I know lots of exceptional people, exceptional doctors and professionals who, due to their own success, their uh, skill, their compassion, their work ethic, are actually completely drained and burnt out and, and stuck in a system that just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing them harder. I know some performers and sports people who feel actually really trapped by their fame, that they can't just go out and do normal things like normal people because they just get harassed constantly. You know, I reckon all of us are enslaved to something. Everyone's enslaved to something. Maybe it's not an external force or an you know, kind of, sort of external authority on us. We like to kind of think of ourselves as a really free society. And yet, lots of us, I reckon, if we ask and interrogate ourselves, we realize actually lots of us are enslaved to ourselves, to our own, uh, to to our own insecurities. You know, I read this little, uh, an interesting article that someone wrote um, about on. Uh, on a a site called Medium, which if you know, it's sort of a bit of a free journalist uh, kind of site. Uh, This is what they said, this is what I said. They said, I'm a slave to my insecurities. That sounds perhaps cliche or stupid, but it's so true. Hanging out with people, even a close friend, or in general, being in social situations is a mess of overthinking everything. Assuming the worst of every situation, assuming people think the worst of me. It shapes and controls every interaction I have, every choice in a social situation I make. Everything I say, every thought I have. I almost never feel truly relaxed when hanging out or I'm out and about. I compare myself to everyone. Everyone around or in my friend, friend group, I'm not as funny, nor as pretty, nor as thin, nor as witty, nor as brazen, or sensual, or straightforward, or go with the flow. Some things I desperately desire to be. And I hate that I'm so scared and so conscious of what people think of me, how they see me, how it affects, how I socialize. It sucks, man. Isn't that kind of just an interesting reflection? To be kind of, be like, you know, I feel so trapped and enslaved by my own desires, my personality. We're all enslaved by something, whether it's something that's broken in the systems or in the employment of the world, the economy of the world. Maybe it's enslaved by our own broken desires, our broken selves. Now, this girl is exploited by her owners for her gift, and in lots of ways, it's trying to kind of direct us, to point us, to remind us that actually Jesus came to set people free. See, Luke, in the first, uh, in the first uh, uh, part of his writings, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you see in this beautiful story, we just see that encapsulated, don't you? That Jesus and the, the ministry that the apostles have taken on, it's all about freeing people. You see, because everyone is a slave to something, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus sets people free. It's freedom for prisoners, freedom for slaves. It's freedom for you and me. You see, I think actually when Jesus and the apostles set people free from sin and slavery and sickness, they're pointing towards the kingdom that will right all of these things. It will reverse all the broken and fallen parts of the world, it will reverse and, and, and fix all the broken and fallen parts of us. See, we saw last week that this is good gospel news stuff. It frees people, it converts people, it changes lives. And yet on the flip side, it also stirs up all kinds of derision and suspicion from others. False accusations are leveled against Paul and Silas in, in retaliation for the now useless slave. And the whole crowd are stirred up to, to turn against them. And, and just like last week, this, we saw how the gospel can evoke a massive opposition. Massive opposition. So verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in their socks. Friends, Eric and Paul and Silas have gone from a high moment to to rock bottom in just a moment. Now, this is a little picture of a, of a Roman prison in Philippi. May, maybe some people think it may have even been the prison that Paul and Silas were chained to. But there they were kind of jailed and, and chained and bolted down like, like murderers. Unbelievable. Imagine the conditions. And yet what you see there, you don't see a picture of them wallowing in their misfortune. You see them singing singing hymns about God, praying to God. I think it's this amazing little moment where you get this little snapshot into the kind of people that Paul and Silas were and their complete and utter trust in God. But I think more than that, you actually see that when the gospel frees you, nothing can chain you down. No jail, no bolts over your ankles can stop that. There they are going, well, here we are, we're in jail guess this is where God has us and they continue to go well our job is to keep witnessing and proclaiming what Jesus has done so what are we going to do well we're going to sit here we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to be in complete trust that whatever God is planning that this is all part of his plan so what happens verse 25 read on with me about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them now, why was the jailer going to kill himself? Well, under Roman law, a jailer who allows the, the prisoners to escape is a liable for all of their sentences, for all of their sentences. So for this prison guard, he's seeing oh, all the, the doors are open, the, the prisoners can just run out of the jail. He's like, this is it. It's prefer- Death is preferable to whatever might happen next. But what happens? Paul shouts, hey, don't harm yourself. Stop. We're all here. We're all here. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now, I reckon this might actually be my favorite conversion story in all of Acts. I mean, obviously, it's kind of uh, hyperdramatic. There's an earthquake. There's a jailer. He's about to kill himself. Uh, But what I love is that there's this little picture of just faithful witness, faithful witness, Oh, here's a little artist's impression of this moment in which the, the jailer just bows down, it's like, Man, what is going on? What must I do to be saved? Now want you just kind of put yourself in Paul and Silas's shoes for a moment as this earthquake happens and the shackles are kind of come apart and the chains are loosened. You think for them, it'd be the first thing is like, well, here's our chance of freedom, time to just run and go but instead they see the jailer standing there and they realize no this is an opportunity to give up our freedom for the sake of another and as they give up their freedom they actually end up granting salvation to this man as as you can imagine this this poor jailer he's been there all night and you know this is his shift and he's 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 been probably listening to them singing and praying kind of just not thinking anything of it but suddenly he goes well What is is with these guys that just stand there? And they they would rather his life be spared and then be put back in jail than for them to go and take their own freedom. Maybe there is something to this Jesus in which they've been singing about. And so he asks, asks to be saved. In fact, he doesn't just ask to be saved, he takes them home and he wants to see his whole household saved and baptized. What a great moment. See, again, they give up their freedom so that this jailer himself might be set free. It's one of those moments, you know, I think we realize how we conduct ourselves is actually just as important as the words that we use. You know, I can imagine what that moment must have been like and how uh, just these two men uh, must have just revolutionized this jailer's world. They would see that someone would give that up for him. Now, as the story finishes the magistrates decide to actually free paul and silas in the morning and they're able to just walk out of the prison free but it gets me thinking what are we to learn about this conversion story because i think actually in lots of ways you know the freedom that we have in christ is amazing it's it's revolutionizing it changes us in any and every circumstance that you can be content knowing that god works for the good of the kingdom for the good of the gospel for the good of us I think it helps us see that our actions speak as loudly as our words. You know, we live in this world that's just so constant about shouting at each other and yelling at each other, and here it was, it was their actions that actually spoke much louder than their words in this moment. But at that moment of crisis, that moment of crisis, I think Paul and Silas just realised that it's no problem for us to get put back into jail. The jailer gets to live... We have total, eternal life in Christ. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. You see, I think our world keeps telling us that freedom is the most important value today. You know, you've got to be free to be me. I need free to be whatever I can be, whatever I want to be, whatever desire comes from me. Free to just be selfish, really. Isn't that kind of the thing of our world? But God tells a very different story. God tells us that in Christ, you are free. Freer than the best holidays, the most money, whatever it is can buy you. You are freer than all of that because you are free in Christ, the Redeemer, the one who sets you free from sin and death, the one who will free the whole world from its bondage to sin and sickness, that you have Christ. See, Paul later on to the Galatians writes this. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, I think part of the message of this part of the Bible, this chapter, is actually this that the freedom that's won for us in the gospel frees us to love others, to serve the kingdom and to take risks for the gospel. Let me say that again. The freedom won for us in the gospel frees us to love others, to serve the kingdom, and to take risks for the gospel. See, this week in our life groups, we're going to be looking, our, uh, to be looking back again at the gospel friendships framework. You know, it's a kind of thing with that Jane and the, mu- the mission team last year worked really hard on to kind of help us keep thinking about, well, what's the next thing? What's the next step for our friends? It really got me thinking, I've been reflecting on it a lot, actually, uh, this, this week, and I was thinking about how, you know what, uh, a lot of the friendships and the people I have around me are, are things of convenience, you know? Yeah, they might be my friends, but, you know, we'll, we'll hang out when we're free, when we've got that spare time and we can do it. Uh, but when I was thinking about this, thinking about this process, you know, I was just thinking, you know, some of those steps are so important to really connect deeply with people, to care for people. And that's actually going to cost my time and my freedom in some ways, isn't it? It's actually saying, well, I want to keep investing in people and friendships and relationships even when it's not convenient for me to actually get to know people well enough that I, that I might actually be able to care for them in their time of need. You know, um, Sam Chan's got this great line and he talks about being your friend's chaplain, right? Being the chaplain in your workplace to your colleagues, being a chaplain in your school, in your uni, whatever it is and what he's talking about is kind of like not like a formal chaplaincy type position but saying well hey you can actually be the person within your friendship circle within your workplace the one who's always actually looking out for people caring for people the one who's there in those moments of when when crisis comes along because when those moments come along that's when people are asking the questions the big questions of life because everyone in some way is searching for some level of transcendent connection is looking for some meaning and suffering with a you know purpose to the hard things of life you don't find that from our secular world out there you start asking questions so he says hey, hey invest deeply in those relationships be the person who's organizing uh, to care for people in your workplace be the one who's there when those crisis moments come and you can be the chaplain to your friends and i love that i love that but friends that'll cost us it'll cost us to be involved on that level with our friends and with our those relationships those people around us it'll mean giving up some of your time it might mean giving up some of your money to give generously to others you know i heard this this woman's story last year and it's kind of actually super relevant because she's she's kind of uh uh she worked in this jewelry store right and this jewelry store was sort of full of people who are really into their real new age spirituality kind of thing, you know, real alternative types. Um, They love their crystals and salt lamps and, you know, essential oils and stuff like that. Uh, One week she actually got invited by a friend along to church and and she just, she gave her life to Christ. She was just so convinced there and there in the moment uh, she became a Christian. But what happened was when she returned to her workplace, they all just turned on her she used to be part of the gang she used to be part of the crew would kind of love talking about this thing and and getting along with the the, the, the newest spiritual fad and uh, uh they all turned on her because now she was the christian you know she was the one who was like really anti all of that stuff now in fact it got so bad that actually they started writing false reports about her in the workplace to actually criticize her criticize her role in the in the store and what she was doing and uh And uh, uh, when the regional manager came to visit, he absolutely gave it to her because all the reports he said were about how bad a worker she was, how awful she was to her workmates, and and she just stood there and took it. But she kind of took it and didn't try to turn it back on all those nasty workmates who'd who'd been really mean to her. In fact, you'd think that she would have left that workplace. She would have been like straight out the door. But what she actually said is that she would be willing to give up her own reputation because she understood what it meant to be freed. She understood that she herself was a slave to all that spirituality stuff. And that she found that freedom in Christ. And so she wanted to stay for the sake of her friends who were still enslaved to all that spirituality stuff. In fact, actually, that, uh, the, the fact that she, she didn't kind of just uh, fight back and she didn't kind of uh, try to turn this all back on her workmates, uh, a lot of them felt really bad about it afterwards, and uh, a lot of them started to kind of reconnect with her afterwards. You know, friends, what does that freedom mean for you? Is it to go and just cavort off into the sunset, to put our time and energy towards just being free to indulge ourselves and our own interests and our own desires the desires of our flesh or is it the freedom to continue to serve people to serve the kingdom to take those risks for the gospel the things that will cost you but you might do it for the sake of the freedom and the salvation for others friends i think that is the challenge of this chapter let me pray for us Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for these amazing stories. Lord, we thank you for the amazing stories that we have here at CPE of the way in which you've worked in our lives, whether ordinary or extraordinary. Father, they are all signs of the works of your Spirit in our lives. But Father, we do pray that as people have been freed in Christ, free from sin, free from the fear of death, free knowing that we are with the one who will restore all things to himself. Father, we pray that you you might help us, challenge us to use that freedom not to indulge in ourselves, but to serve you, to love others, to be that witness of how good this freedom has been for us, that we might also point others to the freedom that they can have in Christ. Father, we pray that you might help us to be bold, you might help us to count the cost, but also realize that actually, Lord, every person saved in Christ is amazing and a miracle in itself. Father, we pray that it would be so in our hearts that we might thinking this week about what it might look like to connect and care for our friends, that we might bring them and point them to the one who can fix and restore all things and who will do so, Lord, for all those who have their faith and trust in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, church, hey, look, as we like to do here, we'd like to spend a little bit of time just praying, reflecting on your own. So, when you spend a bit of that time now, reflecting on the message of this chapter, reflecting on your own freedom and the opportunities that you have there for you, will you do that now?